It's Wednesday, June 20th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C. Well, tomorrow, Thursday, June 21st, is Lifeline's first annual giving day, and this is an exciting opportunity to participate in Lifeline's mission through giving. Join us on June 21st for 24 hours of storytelling and investing in the lives of vulnerable children. Visit lifelinechild.org forward slash giving day to learn more about the initiatives and programs that need your investment and to give sacrificially on Thursday, June 21st. Again, it's lifelinechild.org forward slash giving day. Well, last week, Dr. Rick and I had the opportunity to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas, Texas. While in Dallas, Dr. Rick and I took the opportunity to sit down with Dan Darling of the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, to talk more about how our churches and our families need to wrap around orphans and vulnerable children. Well, we're here with Dan Darling, and Dan is the Vice President for Communications at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the ERLC. And we are grateful that Dan is here. He has also authored several books, including uh, The Original Jesus, The Dignity Revolution, Teen People of the Bible, Crash Course, I Faith. Uh, he and his wife are currently serving at Green Hill Church in Mount Juliet. And he and Angela have four children. And so, Dan, you've been a pastor. Obviously, now you do communications for the ERLC. Uh, there are just a lot of things that the Lord has had you involved in. But one of the things is that you've long been recognized as someone who has championed social justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been pro-life for a long time. I mean, we were even have been talking about some of the amicus briefs that y'all have signed through the ERLC. But, but talk to us a little bit about why it's so important that as the church, we really do champion those who are creating God's image but are marginalized and who are vulnerable. Well, I think for several reasons. I think one... You know, Christianity, one of the, the best gifts that Christianity gives to the world is this idea of human dignity. Mm-hmm. I think you don't have, even people who are secular or don't aren't Christians have a, a framework, some kind of framework mm-hmm. that humans are valuable, but you can't really articulate it. Christianity gives us fullest, uh, the fullest and most robust definition of what it means to be human. And if we really believe humans are created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect, and there's no disposable humans. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like when Jesus says, you know, we're to love our neighbors ourselves, uh, and of course, the people are always asking in every generation, who is my neighbor? You know, when, when people ask Jesus, religious people, by the way, ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? It wasn't because they were genuinely interested. It's because they they were like us. We're looking for loopholes, right? Mm. Loopholes to love. Like, surely those people are not my neighbor. So he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and uh, you know, in every generation, there's people on the side of the road that are vulnerable, and it's easy to find ways to pass by them. And so, you know, when we talk about justice and social justice, it's controversial. Like, but if, man, if you read the Bible, God's people are always to move toward the vulnerable. Um, and to help those who um, cannot help themselves. And and especially in a country like America that's very prosperous, and we have a say in our government, in our policies. You know, when I read Romans 13, basically God is saying that 
he gives authority to civil governments to, to rule well for the flourishing of their people. He's not just talking about the people in power, but he, in a representative republic like ours, of the people, by the people, for the people, we share power. We have a voice. And how can I say to my unborn neighbor that I'm loving him if I have an opportunity to speak up for him or her and I don't? How can I say to my impoverished neighbor? How can I say to my orphan neighbor, a refugee neighbor, that I could speak up for their welfare and I didn't do it? So I think that's what should motivate us as, as Christians. Yeah. And I know a lot of times we see, and I mean, here we are, even at the Southern Baptist Convention mm-hmm. right now, where I know a lot of the issues that are talked about are conservatism. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, unfortunately, our church either goes social justice or doctrine. Mm-hmm. But why would you say for churches that this is a gospel doctrine issue to care for the poor and the needy and the orphan and the widow? This isn't just social justice. This is a gospel justice issue. So speak to the pastor that may be struggling through. Mm-hmm. I want to preach a full gospel. I want to. I want to preach a, a conservative uh, message and have conservative doctrine. But how that? But caring for the poor and the needy is not a, a liberal side, but it is conservative right. and gospel driven. Well, I think I think it's because you know the gospel is both word and deed. It's it's you know you have some Christians who are embarrassed by the proclamation of the clear gospel message that. People face the judgment of God and they need to repent and put their faith in Christ who died for their sins and rose again and offers them salvation. Uh, we shouldn't be embarrassed by that because it's, it's great news, it's good news. On the other hand, you have people who feel like that's, that's, all there, like, that's all there is to gospel witness. And, you know, when Jesus came, he announced the, the kingdom of God. And... His ministry was characterized by gospel proclamation, but also gospel deeds. And, and if we are the church, if we're an out, outpost of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. we're, we're showing the world a small glimpse of the world to come. Mm-hmm. When we um, move toward the vulnerable, when we help heal and, and, you know, and repair and fix what's broken, uh, we're showing the world just a tiny glimpse of the kingdom kingdom to come. We're showing what the kingdom's about. You know, when when the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, you know, are we sure you're the guy? I mean, John knew, John the Baptist knew Jesus was the guy, but he's having doubts, you know, because mm-hmm. he's in prison. And Jesus said, hey, look at, look at my mm-hmm. the things I've done. I've healed the sick. I've made the uh, lame walk. Uh, made the blind see. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. So I think, I think it's both. And... Again, if we're to love our neighbor as, as ourselves, what does it mean to love our neighbors? You know, Jesus said it means someone who's vulnerable to caring, caring for them and this other. And it's so amazing how we can find convenient ways to get out of that responsibility. And so I don't think we need to separate the two. In fact, the good news of the gospel, that God is, has defeats, defeated sin, death, and the grave, and is renew, renewing and restoring the, the world and calling out a people for his name, that motivates me mm-hmm. to to care about justice. You know, God is a God of justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I don't think we separate the two. And I think for too long, we feel like we have to choose between the two. And I think it's really unfortunate, to be honest. And I also don't think people truly believe that because if you press on the right issue, mm-hmm. people will know that th- their faith motivates them to act. Mm-hmm. So it it's interesting how some issues are considered, oh, that's just social justice. Or other issues, it's okay to loudly speak out about or 
be active on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, Dan, I, I really, really appreciate what you said, and I, I think you know we we're often we hear about this idea of the you know the slippery slope and the fact that people are concerned about. Uh, about losing the gospel in the midst of um, in, in the midst of trying to care for people well, but but it's but there's not a there's not a false or there, there it's a false dichotomy that you know that exists there. But I, I think you know one of the things that we really appreciate about you guys at the RLC is is our friends and and, and people that we get to walk with and partner with is um, the way that you continue to expand the conversation about life mm-hmm. and and about the protecting of life to be more than uh, an issue of, of of abortion and mm-hmm. and more than more than a pro-life issue being equated with um, being anti-abortion and and so I just wonder from a pastor's perspective if you could kind of just speak to as a pastor what would you encourage pastors to do to to begin to help their churches to to embrace more of a whole life pro-life ethic well first of all i think you know and we're not calling for people to be less pro-life we're actually calling for them to be more pro-life in fact the very reason i got involved in cultural engagement and public policy as a pastor the entry into that to me was pro-life you know mm-hmm. it's a very early age realizing that this is just great injustice against the unborn, the most vulnerable among us that cannot speak for themselves and are discarded because of convenience, you know. Um, but, when you know, when you read the scriptures, I think, first of all, to really just preach the scriptures as they are and apply them this way, you know, in this generation, one of the greatest injustices is abortion. But let's, let's, let's say... Roe versus Wade was overturned, which would be awesome. Would we all celebrate? Let's say abortion was outlawed in every single state, which would be amazing. I mean, we, we would like we would rejoice at that. That doesn't mean the end of injustice. Mm. You know, every generation is going to since the fall has seen mm. um, injustice against God's image bearers. You know, mm. uh, it looks different in every age. Um, going back going back to Eden. And so God's people always have to be the people saying, pointing out to the most vulnerable and saying, hey, there's there's a human life here. These people matter. You know, in the in the um, 1800s and 1700s and, and the early 1900s, I mean, the injustices were not necessarily abortion, but they were against uh, people of color. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. to be able to say in that age, a black person is not three-fifths of a human. He is a human created in the image of God. And he is not someone to be sold and bought on the trading block, but he's a human being with dignity and worth. You know, So the issues change in every age. And in our age, there's a lot of issues, not just abortion, but human trafficking. When, when we care about victims of human trafficking, we're saying, these are not property. These are people. When we care about orphans, we're saying, we see them. Mm-hmm. You know, we see them and they're here and they're people and they deserve dignity when we care about the impoverished, you know, and all these things. So I think as pastors, I think one of the key things for us, one, is to not allow our people and not allow ourselves to be catechized by the culture. Mm-hmm. I think too often, so to back up a little bit, I think too, too often pastors, we are afraid rightly so of politics because we've seen a previous generation maybe engage it in a way we didn't agree with 
And what I'm saying is we don't need to be partisan, but we, the Bible is inherently political. The gospel is a political statement. And when we make application, uh, when we're talking about human dignity, when we're talking about the vulnerable, looking around saying who is vulnerable, who is forgotten, who's on the side of the road, and who should we move toward and help. And, and I think one of the things we've done with our people is we've outsourced because we're afraid of politics, we don't want to talk about hard issues. We've let the culture shape and form our people. So they're getting formed every, you know, our people are going to be discipled on, on, on these issues. It just depends who's doing it. You know, is it talk radio? Is it their favorite pundits? And what I've actually seen is people will be shaped by their tribe. So if they, let's say they care about one or more issues, like let's say they care about the pro-life issue, which they should there's a tendency to then just be completely shaped by the whole, everything on the right, and that shapes their values. So their their politics is shaping their faith rather than their faith shaping their mm. politics. Or on the left, I've seen the same thing on the left. People come and they're rightly concerned about racial justice or rightly concerned about um, refugees or orphan care, and the only kind of home for them is the left, mm -hmm. and pretty soon, they're swallowing all of that and they're coming up with unbiblical positions on a lot of things. So I think we have to be the kind of people that are willing to be sojourners and strangers, as Peter called us, that to be a sojourner and stranger means we're not ever fully at home in any earthly movement. Mm. We have to we have to we have to be part of earthly movements. You have to we have to make voting choices. Mm. We have to make alignments, but we should never be fully comfortable in any earthly movement. So if you're a Republican and, and, you, and that's where you land, and that's where you vote. You should never feel totally comfortable in that. There should be things that, mm. that when you read the scriptures that prick your conscience and bother you. If you're a Democrat, and that's where you land, you should never be totally comfortable in that movement. And I, and I should actually say that about uh, liberal and conservative and libertarian, like, or Green Party or whatever. Like you should never be, like as sojourners and strangers, are, we're guided by the scriptures. So in some ways, we're always sort of be the subversive of that. So. so talk to a pastor, because that's great stuff that that is dealing with mm -hmm. that in a real life mm -hmm. measure. And let's, let's be honest, you know, Unfortunately, a lot of our churches do identify more with the Republican mm -hmm. Party at times when with the Bible even, mm -hmm. um, and they don't even weigh some of the movements of political parties by what the Word of God says. So here's a pastor that maybe you're talking to right now that wants to equip his church to have mm -hmm. this gospel-driven justice towards race and life, but at the same time, he, he wants... Uh, he wants to guide his church to have a biblical worldview. What are some ways that even the ERLC can help equip that pastor to say, I want to be different. I want to be a stranger mm -hmm. and alien. And I want to lead my people to do the same. Well, I think, first of all, we need shepherds. You know, I think the art of shepherding mm -hmm. has been lost. I think, you know, people need good shepherds who are willing to faithfully preach the word of God uh, and shepherd their people along a pathway. You know, a good shepherd knows where his people are. Mm -hmm and senses the Spirit of God on how to move them along a pathway. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think in our preaching, a lot of it is just good preaching, but also application. Right. So it's very easy for pastors to kind of preach to the amen chorus. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a very, very red community, it's very easy for me to preach a passage like the Good Samaritan mm -hmm. and say, 
see we're leaving the unborn on the on the you know like preach to the people's biases and preach mm. against pro-life preach against which we should do but only stay there to where our people are saying yeah 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 get those people out there and not ever being challenged or, or you could be preaching uh, let's say you're a pastor in Berkeley and it's a very left-leaning and you're preaching through Amos and you're preaching on justice and it's very easy to just get up and be like, yeah, those conservatives and they don't care about immigrants and this and not afflict your people about abortion. I think as shepherds, we need to both shepherd our people along a pathway so that they can hear and understand, but also challenge them. I think in the way that we apply things, uh, a good pastor knows where his people are and educate them and curate good content so that they can be up to speed on issues. Um, you know, a good pastor, a good shepherd will earn capital, leadership capital, mm. so that he can say these kinds of things in a way that his people will listen. Mm. You know, I think of my pastor, he, he's done that well. So people will hear him out on things where they might disagree. Mm. And he does this, you know, um, there's nothing like shepherding in a local church to, to, to change people. And, I, and I've seen this happen. I think um, there's a a saying in journalism that journalists are supposed to, supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I think that's a good thing for pastors uh, uh, to do, what we should try to do. Amen. So I, I just was, so you've talked on a, on a very mm-hmm. kind of macro level about, you know, all of these uh, issues of justice and all these issues of life and, and but it but it does come back around to the abortion issue mm-hmm. as well, and that's a big part of um, you know of our standing as pro life Christians and, and believing that we are you know we're honoring people as created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And you know you've I've, I've I've heard you say it. I've I've also read where you've written it that um, you believe that we are we're winning the cultural war. Um, with regard to abortion, mm-hmm. and I just love for you to talk about that a little bit because I because I think many times as as believers we we feel like we're diligently in the fight, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people feel like we're we're fighting a losing battle. And I, I just I love your perspective on that, and so I'd love you to share that with our audience. I really think we I think you know if you're a pro life committed pro life activist like we are, um, I think there's a lot of reason to be encouraged. I think. For one, I think the pro-life movement, for the most part, has taken a really good approach. I mean, they've taken a a long view of this issue uh, that we need to change hearts and minds. We need to we need to do battle in the courts, and we need to pass good legislation. And we need to win. All that is very important. That does actually make a difference. You know, people will say, ah, oh, you know, pro-life laws don't make a difference. I'm like, I, I actually think they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, They've taken a long approach, you know, to where they've, and and I also think the use of technology has really helped. That people, we have a generate a couple generations now that have been raised on ultrasounds, and people mm-hmm. know instinctively that is a child. Mm-hmm. And if if you notice, the pro life movement has gotten so effective that actually the pro choice movement is really on the defensive. If you really listen, mm-hmm. the pro choice people used to say abortion is a tragic decision that mothers are forced to make out of because there's no other choice uh you know the idea of safe legal and rare now you're actually seeing abandon that and just actually praise 
abortion as this kind of good, which is in many ways, it's kind of horrifying the way they do that. But there's a defensiveness. Um, you hear people talk about unborn babies, even without thinking about it, and calling calling them babies. So I think we've made some great strides. I think the, you know, the abortion rates are dropping. You know, a lot of people want to attribute and say, well, that's because progressives have gotten an office, and it, and I don't think, I just think the consciousness of, of the country, and I think the pro life movement has been so effective actually that. Now you see people who don't agree with us using arguments against us to say, well, if you're really pro-life, you're going to do this and this, which I agree with that statement. Yeah, right. But it's interesting to see these people use the pro-life argument. Um, so I think we've made great strides. I mean, it's still tragic that millions of babies are aborted every year and that Planned Parenthood is still being funded by our tax dollars, uh, which is tragic. But I, it seems like we're winning a war, even among younger generations of people who are, I think... Recoil at this. I do think reframing abortion in some ways as a justice issue will be helpful because it really is injustice. I mean, it it is really the original social justice issue. Like the most vulnerable people are being discarded uh, on the altar of convenience. You have organizations making money off of this. It's just you know. So I think there's a long way to go, and I do think we have to be wise. And realize that even if abortion clinics close down, there's going to be other ways, like through um, medicine and other other ways, to get around this. So we have to, you know, we have to be nimble and think through. And, and again, this is why I think we need to be not just a anti-abortion movement, which we are, but a, a human dignity movement because we don't know the injustices that are around the corner. So if our if our worldview is framed simply like I'm anti-abortion, I'm conservative. We won't be prepared to meet the injustices of the future, but if we're a human dignity movement, we will be. Amen. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us. And these are these are such important topics that, as believers, we need to realize these are gospel-driven, gospel-centric mm, issues. Absolutely. Because, like you even said, with the abortion movement, they've played the law or the the pro-life movement. We've, mm. we've, we're winning the game against those who believe in abortion by reframing, and hopefully. We will continue to see that as we reframe this, we have opportunities to shine the gospel of light as we reach out for human dignity. That it was for men that Christ died mm. uh, to make them righteous before the Father. And so we thank you for the ERLC, what you guys are doing, and for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's been a privilege, and I really appreciate the work that you guys do at Lifeline, really bringing a human face to some of the most vulnerable in our communities and, and uh, helping match and uh, orphans and, and those who are vulnerable to people who can care for them. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Well, don't forget, Thursday, June 21st is Lifeline's first annual giving day. Support the cause by going to lifelinechild.org forward slash giving day. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.